0: Hey everyone, thanks for subscribing. I can't wait to share the show with you, but first, I gotta ask you this question. How much sleep did you get last night? Getting enough sleep and waking up on time aren't easy. Believe me, I know this from uh, trying to do the schedule of making uh, the television show. And uh, it's not easy, but it can be. It can be much easier. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help. They have the widest selection of America's best-selling brands, and they have bets for every budget, everybody, and everybody. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and save 10% with the code podcast10. And look, if online shopping isn't your thing, Mattress Firm stores are in your neighborhood. So Better Sleep is right around the corner, literally. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Uh, What a pleasure it is to be here with my old pal, Stephen Kunkin, who uh, plays uh, Ari Spiros, on the hit Showtime a television series, Billions, and um, who is also a drama circle nominee, Tony nominee for being one of the most highly regarded and respected theater actors in the city. He's been in scores of movies uh, that you've seen. He is a regularly recurring character on Handmaid's Tale, and, um, and I think crucially, Kunks and I uh, sort of grew up together. Uh, he's younger than I am, but we went to the same elementary, junior high school, same college. I, d- I didn't know him at college. We weren't friends at college, but um, his older brother and my sister were great friends growing up, and so it's been great to get to work together on Billions, and um, I'm so happy you're here, man.
1: Thanks, man. I
0: First time, long time, as I said. This is, well. t- tr- truly. I'd <laughs> Well, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, man, it's been s- such a joy uh, getting to work with you because sometimes I'll flash on you as a little kid. Crazy. And it's crazy. Yeah. Um, because I was older enough than you that you were a little kid. I knew you was Jeff's brother. Dude, I used to have, honestly, like it was back in the day when you didn't have videotape
1: even, all you had was like audio tape. And so I used to like listen to your good man Charlie Brown and like stuff that you were in on audio tape, like on sick days of like my brother's
0: theater performances that somebody would record
1: on like a cassette deck. So I knew you as an actor,
0: like that's so funny. you just mentioned Dan McGee a second ago when we were in the other room and that was funny. He and I were in a show together. He was younger and beat me out for a part and I remember being I was very grown up about it, but it hurt. What show was it? Was it Our Town? No. No, no. He did Our Town after. Carousel? Yeah. Oh he had cool. that part and it came down to the two of us. <sighs> and then he got it. And then Jordan wrote me. Jordan gave me another part and made it much bigger. Gave me two extra songs. And nice. Were you Mr. Oh, Snow? Who were you? Uh, was Steve Edwards. Steve Edwards. That's, I think, the guy's name. But That's it cool. became a big part and Trish Flynn was my love interest.
1: Well, you you won. That's <laughs> clearly <which, laughs>
0: Trish. Uh, if yeah, I was gonna say we can't make this whole thing about high school crushes. <laughs> totally, <laughs> because totally. the audience will shrink. Yes, I think by the end. But sh- she was definitely won yes, for all. I completely understand. That's the one you win. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, you as a little kid must have looked at all those women and guys on the stage, and just thought they were all superheroes, even oh, though we were all just like seventeen. Totally. Well,
1: that completely informed my choices in life. You know. Looking at the yearbook of like, you know, when you're a little kid, those people, I still, I don't know, do you do this where you look back at the yearbook and look at those people as like,
0: and they still seem older, even though they're like 12 years old. There and, are a couple of those people who, there's a guy named John Spinello. Jonathan Kenton him. he became, who was a, uh, a super genius and the best actor and the best everything. And I, I do know what, he ended up becoming successful. success in military intelligence um, wow. or something like that. But uh yes what you're talking about that's interesting to me is the way we imbue people with special powers and it it's really hard for us to believe we possess them too.
1: Oh completely. Yeah there's no like I think you know I was listening to your interview with Paul and like just hearing Paul talk about like the, his perception of himself versus other people's perception of himself is wild to hear. And I think that's right. I think so often we're like yeah, I put my pants on one leg at a time, and nobody else does. Everybody just slides into them in this cool way, and you know.
0: I, yeah, because, um, well, I'm sure you feel this way. Like, I'm sure, or I imagine, for you, it all feels very hard won. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that
1: there's so much failure. I one of the things that I, whenever anybody, you know, like that age-old sage advice, like if you can do anything else. Do it, as an act, other than be an actor. You know anything else? And for so long, that always just pissed me off to no end. Because like one of the things about being an actor is, I think the people that I know who went into the arts all could do a million things, and they didn't want to specialize. And they and it was like the you, they just. I remember being at Tufts and being like being like, I don't want to choose. I don't want to choose this, and I don't want to choose that. I want to do something that basically lets me do that for six months and then get paid for that and then do that for six months and do that for six months and be good at all these things, never really be necessarily expert at them, but you know, to have the
0: empathy of feeling what it was through somebody else's life. Is- well, the way I always hear that thing of if you could do anything else, how I always hear it is, if you could do anything else and live with yourself, if you could do anything else right. and be fulfilled, you should do it. It's not a yes, because I agree. Uh, many, many people who choose to be actors have, uh, or live in, in show business, or like how I think of it, is we all went and joined the circus. Right. Totally. Many of those people have high wattage, they're, they're smart. The question is could you wake up and go about your life doing something else and have any sense of fulfillment? And, and look, part of that has to do with privilege. I talk about this a lot, like I don't know about you, but I didn't have to pay for college. My my dad paid for college. Me too. So I got out of college without loans. Yep. That allows people like us a tremendous amount of freedom of choice. Yep. That most folks don't have. But then the decision to stick with it twenty years later is a whole different thing. <laughs> but we
1: also and I was I think about this a lot. It's like people who went through academia or, you know, like have entered this through a kind of logical way of approaching things. We get hit up, so much of this business is about rejection. And I don't know, but, but like I was like, if I studied for a test, typically in math, do well on a test. If I didn't, I was fucked. But if, if I'd studied for an English test and I read the book as opposed to skim the book, it did well. But it doesn't compute in this business because this business, there's, the thing that's hard about this is when you come out of like grad school or when I came out of grad school, it was like, you got a part because we liked you and you did it great, but we went with somebody else. And, and it was like, well, that blew my mind that it was like, there was no real reason. And so sometimes it's like, you know, and I know you know this from being a poker God, but like you have as an actor, you're an artist, really. You're going all in on every hand. And even if you have like a pocket three, four, you still have to go all in um, for every role. And I think the longer you stay in this business the harder that is to do, because you know what you have in your hold, and you're just kind of like, oh god, I still gotta go for it. Yeah, but oh.
0: the thing is you have to commit, and, and because, like I did know you, and I was excited when you came in, but I think you came in for a different role with yeah, far yeah. for Connerty, right?
1: Yeah. Um, one, and I think I came in for maybe even Dollar Bill, shockingly, or one of the guys, I but, may have been And Connerty. then
0: there was this idea, we were like, no, 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 Conkin should play the thing, and you didn't have to come in for Spiros, we cashed you with Spiros. It's hilarious, yeah. Uh, so coming all in, and then you know, and I remember saying to you with the Spiros thing, this will be something that'll recur a lot. Like I had this, in, I mean, Dave and I had this in our, in our heads, but I want to talk about rejection a lot. Sure. Be, um, but let's let's go back because you are a rare thing. You are a working actor who hasn't had to have another job for a long time. You're you're not a household name. You're a household name within the business, mm-hmm. and then just this year on our show, people started writing articles about you. I, you know. <laughs> Yeah, forty-five years old. They're like, yeah. there were a lot of theater articles about you, but yep. now it's like, totally, there's this thing happening mm-hmm. which must hit you in a great way. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Like, you know, it's,
1: yeah. There's no, it's there's no way to describe it because you feel like, well, I've been doing this for this whole time, and then suddenly somebody's like, wow, a new kid on the block doing real well, and you know, but. It's wild. But, you know, and also, like, I, the online thing is really interesting, too. I was, I was not a huge social media person. And one of the things that I always thought was weird about or, or preferable in, into doing theater was you had this immediate response to an, with an audience. Yes. And you get like you get
0: you don't have that in film and TV. But now you do. Like, now you do. It's crazy. it's crazy. I mean, It's not immediate it's like, because it's not when you're doing the thing. Right, but you are having a relationship now with the audience. Yeah, in you, a
1: way, you hear "lol" as the line is being done on the TV, in
0: like in Twitter. Somebody's like, as it's coming on the TV, people are hitting it and understanding yeah. it, and you have to discipline yourself not to play it. We were talking about this a second ago. You have to discipline yourself. We all do not to play to that. Yeah, just to make the show yep. and then let it be the thing. Yep, it, it's hard as an actor because an actor you have to tune all that shit out.
1: Yeah, well, and you have to. You there's things that you have to focus on. You have to focus on. The words, and you have to focus on the relationships. And you know, we're really lucky on this show because you know, the writer's are pretty good, so it's uh, you know, that's but that was always the thing for me, which is I remember coming out of grad school and I never had this impetus to want to like put Kunkin into Hamlet, or like there's some people I think like I got to do my oh, Hamlet, put yourself in it, yeah. I was always like, I want to what I wanted to do when I got out of grad school was work on new plays and work on new things and help artists I love the process of rehearsal I love the art of like creating something in a group with people and you know I mean that's why like the read-throughs are like one of the greatest things ever well
0: you're an actor's actor and that's the thing For, for all of us who go into this for the right reasons which is most people who stick it out if you don't become successful very very young you know that thing of being able to get in a room hear the words for the first time that's amazing find the character's voice See where the laughs are. Mm-hmm. It's the be- I mean, yeah. when I was young, and were, I, I don't make this about me. But when I was young, I hated t- the table reads were just a judgment on me. I thought, you know, when I, we would write something, because it <coughs> is just naked, right? But I've come to just love it. I've come to just love it because it's an opportunity to make the thing better. Well, yeah, and it's you know it's like the first
1: time. It's like when you know in Young Frankenstein. It's like when they when you plug it in. It's like when you finally plug the monster into the uh, into the electricity. You see what what he's uh, gonna do. And it's that's a
0: great analogy.
1: You know, it's like that that thing rises up off the table for the first time because we think we know what it is, and I'm sure you think you know what it is. And then some person does one other thing, and that thing goes in a totally
0: different. Yeah, it just gets you you fired up totally different. <clears throat> Back uh, with Mr. Kunkin in a second. I want to talk about Buffalo Trace bourbon for a couple of minutes here. Because uh, look, here I love uh, talking about a product that I actually enjoy. And um, you know, this whiskey has a, a complex aroma of vanilla, mint, and molasses. And it's sweet to the taste that has these notes of brown sugar and spice that give way to like, oak, toffee, dark fruit, and anise. Look, honestly, The truth is, it does have all those things. When I'm drinking it, I'm not really thinking about that. What I'm thinking is, man, this is delicious. And then when it finishes, I'm noticing that it's complex and sweet and hits you just in the way that you hope. Uh, Sometimes after a story conference or a day of story conferences, I will uh, put one big uh, ice cube in uh, a rocks glass and just sit back and have a couple of fingers of this while I'm talking with my writing partner David, and um, man, it's a good way to end the day. So check it out for yourself. Buffalo Trace bourbon—you can drink it neat on the rocks or in cocktails like a Manhattan or in Old Fashioned. Drink it however you want. Just uh, drink it. <coughs> so you grew up on Long Island. What town? Yeah. What town? Brookville. And uh, yeah, we really grew up seven mm-hmm. minutes from each other. Yeah. And um, when did you like first know? that you loved acting? Like how did it hit you? You know, it was like watching you know, Jeff, my
1: brother, uh, who's older than I am, was doing um he was doing your good man Charlie Brown, which, you know, with we had this great professor. You and I shared this amazing I to talk drama that. professor. And um, you know, I saw Jeff launch into this world and we would pick, it was really just, I would pick him up with my mom and dad at rehearsal and we'd walk into this great theater and it was dark and it would be, you know, like I saw the the intensity with which people were dealing with each other. And really it was like, the thing was we were, you know, I maybe have been in third grade when I would go pick them up from rehearsal, but this teacher was talking to these kids like they were adults. It was like a relationship that I never had experienced. Like coaches were always like, the lacrosse coaches were always like, do this, do that, come on, you know. But this was a guy who was like, what do you think? And, what, and I remember being like, I want to be in a place where Everybody, no matter of your age, is part of, a, of building a thing and is equally responsible for that, not like be an indentured servant towards, you know, are you going to score that goal? Or... So I didn't, I mean, that was the beginning of it. I sort of realized like that was a place that people could express themselves and where people were respected, not just because of age, but what they had to bring to the table. And so what did you, <laughs> for,
0: so like, but, so that was you seeing it from afar right. and thinking, I want to be part of this world. I did too, um, he asked me to be in Our Town when I was in sixth grade right. as the Wally in the graveyard, yeah. and so I did it, Wally Crawford? So I, Raleigh, uh, no, Wally, no, Wally Simpson, no, not Simpson. Anyway, it's I was Simpsons. Wally, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then I watched as you did, because that, that character didn't have anything to do, one line, right. you're just sitting there, but I watched all these people, and yeah. I watched Jordan, his name's Jordan Hornstein, who was our- um, oh, Fantastic teacher and directed the plays. And uh, and it's true what you say. Once you're in that theater with him, all you want to do is be in that theater with him. Yeah. Because he didn't... He, he not only treated you like a, an adult, he treated you like an artist. And he was engaging with you, and he expected you to conduct yourself like an artist. And yeah. he would talk about what that meant, and, and how. And not in a goofy way, in a very practical And he lost his temper. Way. And I remember
1: that. I remember thinking like, you know, Should this be happening? Not not in a bad way, but like he was a guy. He was passionate, and there was something about it. I remember being like
0: watching him, like be like,
1: you didn't learn your lines, and like what did you do? Well,
0: I wonder (coughs) how this hit you. You know, the at the school we went to was quite conservative, and it was Mm -hmm. Quaker school, so it had certain liberal values, like um, in the way that it was Mm anti-gun, but in its dress and in its sort of formal rituals, and also, it really didn't care about the arts as an institution. Yeah. So we were like the cast, we weren't, I mean I played sports competitively too, Mm -hmm. but basically, if you were a theater kid, you were not in the, you were not cool at all. Yeah. And you would come and spend all day Saturday and all day Sunday in this (laughs) dusty gym where you would be rehearsing. And I don't know, you felt like your own troupe, or I did. Did you hit hit, hit, I. was like
1: that for you? Yeah, you just, I totally had like that, you know, completely visceral response to me i remember being like because it was also like nobody was at the school and you felt like you owned the school for like a day and like i remember like it, it you would just like be in the parking lot somebody would be like drive up with a white castle hamburger bag or or you know and be like oh my god we're at school eating white castle this is insane um and yeah it, you felt you felt ownership and a kind of adulthood that you didn't feel anywhere else. I remember, it was, I loved that. So you started in this middle school or in? I started, I mean, I was in like the lower school plays and then when I was in ninth grade, this was sort of yeah, like. when
0: this- did it start hitting you though? And I wonder when you started doing it, what, what lit you up
1: about it? Probably the first, and it's funny because of the way Spiros has sort of evolved over time um, but like the first play when I was in ninth grade, and it was my first upper school play, we were, they did Animal Crackers, which is the Marx Brothers thing, and Jeff was my brother was Groucho, and I got cast as Chico. So like there was a, immediately we started had to work together, and all this whole patter that we had grown up pretending that we were, you know, whatever we pretended that we were, um, just suddenly we were doing it on the stage, and it was like he made me laugh all the time, and. And I just remember thinking, like, this is super exciting to like be out in front of an audience and be flying on a wire. And there's nothing like a a good comedy is super fun to do. I mean, hearing silence—you know—once you you start working on drama, is just as rewarding. But the catharsis and hearing people respond in the same moment, you know, with a laugh and a power of a laugh, there's just nothing like that. And uh, I was like all in right from that.
0: You were. Did you say to yourself at a certain point? No, this the, is what I want to
1: do. I did. I. I was like. I'm. I was like. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go to college and go into political science. You know, I was going to. But you be,
0: were like, you were all in in high school. All in in high and school. And was it, it mattered to you to get the leads in the show? Oh
1: yeah, that that cast list went up, and you were like, oh, you know. Um, were you? Did you have a lot of friends? At, at friends. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and none this, of them were into the arts, though. Oh, I mean, none of your friends were the arts people. No, no, they were all like. You know, there are people around me who have you know, and uh, you know, a lot of those people went into great things. You know, Grunwald, who is now you know, well, Grunwald, you the know, best. Yeah, amazing, Ron Michael, Mitchell, Grunwald, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're like, they were all around me. But my a lot of my friends were just sort of on the lacrosse team, and you know.
0: And w- when you would audition for the shows, would you take any? W- when did you start getting leads? I guess right away. So kind of like,
1: right away, but then Jordan left my. Tenth grade year, like he, I've had ninth grade and that was it.
0: And he was you only there. had one year with Jordan. Well,
1: I had middle school because we did middle school shows, but like, yeah, he was gone at, at when I went tenth grade, and I had like, I had a real problem. Like, I was really sad about that.
0: Yeah, left. because this was your like connection to this mysterious yeah. world. Yeah,
1: and he was like steeped in like, the, you know, the '60s. He was like, he was doing it where, to him, it mattered, and and in a way that was like. You don't get in high school musicals. You, you know, I mean, we were doing Brecht. and, and, and of you course. Know, you know, like we were doing real stuff and it mattered to him in, in a real way, and then thusly making it matter to us. And when that left, it became kind of slightly more. Was it a heartbreak to you? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, totally. w- I can't imagine being there without him. Uh, I went and visited him at his new school. I mean, I know. Yeah. But. How did you then, did you keep going? I kept going, and I, you did know. Did you still get leads and everything? I
1: still got leads, and I went to like summer camp, I went to acting camp, and Melissa Erico, who, who works in the business a lot, and, and is wonderful. We had, did stuff together, we did the matchmaker together, you know, the, um, and I worked all the way through, and did direct the Junior Musical. You did direct the Junior Musical, didn't you? I did. Yeah. What
0: was yours? All-American. Nice, very nice. And what was yours? Bells are ringing. Yeah, that was the big question for me. I made the varsity basketball team, but they wouldn't let me do both. Oof. And it was, and I knew I would not play on the varsity basketball team. Was it, were we good then? Yeah, Daryl Preston. We were eighth oh, in the yeah. state in New York my senior year. Daryl was only a 10th grader that year. I was an 11th grader. And the coach said to me, you're on the, you'll make the team, and I can't guarantee you you'll be on the team next year if you don't play. Oh, like no. if you don't play 11th grade and basketball was like the focus of my fucking life. <laughs> but I got offered to direct the Junior Musical. And because like David Lobson, all these guys, Spinello, these guys had done the ones before, I, I was like, I have to do it. Yeah. yeah, And at the time, I had no ambition, like I really had no ambitions to do this professionally. But when you look back, it all makes sense. I always did this, but yeah. I, so I did it. I directed the Junior Musical, which was an amazing experience. And then, oh, amazing. but I had Jordan to come in and rescue me the last weekend, you didn't. Oh, God, no.
1: Yeah, and I think you probably did it in the theater. We had to do it in the cafeteria. Oh, no. I would have played basketball. I think I would have played basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, like that's the first time where you're like, well, I'm making a decision. Somebody's empowered me to make a decision. As a director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're casting it and casting it. Was that hard for you to have to decide which among your people you'd cast? (gasps) Uh, Yeah yeah it was rough and there was i because i was sort of i also played lacrosse and and so i had like all these guys who was like come on it's gonna be cool so i had this whole group of guys who became i was like
0: you guys are gonna be all the tough gangsters
1: you know you you have to pick a play to be the gangsters
0: well that makes sense because also lacrosse you could keep playing because it was a spring sport but my problem was the play it was at the same time and then he put me i did make the team my senior year he was nice and let me try out and didn't hold it against what position were you small forward i was a a shooting guard um (laughs) But, uh, sorry, I was a shooting guard. So, and I wasn't very good, man. I hardly played. I just loved it. I loved it so much. And I, there was no chance I'd be a professional basketball player. So, when you uh, are leaving high school, well, sorry, you didn't really answer this question. When you were acting, yep, young, mm-hmm. high school, and you were killing it, what were you feeling about it? Like, was it transporting you? What was it about the doing of it that... Was so great for you. How did you recognize? Oh, this is who I am. This is who I really am. I don't.
1: Did I? I don't even know that I did that in in high school. You know, like I think that it was in college really where that sort of hit. Where it was, you know, in high school I loved it. I loved the attention and I loved the purpose of it and I loved the experience of it. But it was in college where it was suddenly the it went a level deeper, and I started. And the work started to not be about presentation anymore, but it started to affect
0: me. Well, and I, this
1: is key. Yeah.
0: yeah. How? What do you mean?
1: Well, I remember there was I there was, a, I, there was a, the Jordan Hornstein of of Tufts, which was a guy who I don't know if you had named Bruce Shapiro. Did you have Bruce? Was Bruce there? And I some people I you know Bruce for me was the first guy who introduced these really edgy places, these really edgy plays, and. Um,
0: Modern in a way that you never know. No, the real modern guy when I was there, his name—I can't remember his last name. His first name was Vinny. Vinny. Vincent uh, dacosti knows. I can't, but I don't. I don't remember his last. I always want to say Vinny Chase, but it wasn't because that's the guy not to. But Bruce, Bruce is probably way young, like just coming in. Yeah, maybe he wasn't there. I know his yeah. name from other people. So he was the director. But when you get to college, and do you think to your because Tufts attracts actors, and it's a yeah. big sort of, um, it's a much bigger place than the high school we went to. Yeah were you wondering whether you could hold your own like were you wondering i didn't want to be my my entry into the arts there was
1: bizarre so my my brother did uh did improv comedy at cornell where he went and i was like well i'll do that so i did the improv comedy troupe at tufts and then somebody was like you know you should do my fall you know student play so i did the fall student play and i had a girlfriend at the time who you know because all the all the shows for the year auditioned in the same time do you remember i don't know if they did that for you when you were there, but it was like the department majors. It was like all three for the year, same time, in three different rooms concurrently. And I had a girlfriend at the time who really was like, "I, I think I want to be an actor." I, and I was, I had, no, I thought I was going to be a poli sci or psych major or something. And I was like, "Well, I'll, I'll go to you. I'll go with you, and I'll sit outside the rooms to these auditions, and I will, I will hold your hand." And she went into one of the rooms, and somebody came out of the other room and was like, "Are you here to audition?" and in this weird moment, I was just like, I hadn't prepared anything, I hadn't read the scripts. So I was like, yeah,
0: yeah, totally. And I went in and missed her on. You call, wait, you, re- you I cold read, you cold read three different in three different rooms. Wait, you did all three auditions all and th- you cold read all of them, red. not in, knowing the plays ahead of time. Uh didn't know
1: the plays. And you're at a all. freshman or sophomore. I was uh, I was a, what was I? I was a junior. So I was. You didn't late. do a
0: play other than the your in, friends' play freshman year. Then you didn't do a play till junior year. Yeah. Yep. Holy shit. So,
1: so I basically, she didn't know that I had auditioned for them. And that night I walked, we walked to the, they posted all the cast lists. And, I and had, you didn't reveal it to her? And I don't think I revealed it. It was terrible. And this was sort of the end of our relationship. But we got there and she went to look for her name. And I had gotten the leads in all three of the shows and she didn't get cast. You were the lead in all three. Yeah. And it was very, it was like a moment. In, and you in, weren't a drama major. And I wasn't a drama major. And I, and I am instant, that night I freaked out because it was, I, and I called we were doing one of the one of the plays with six characters in search of an author. That was the first one up. And was, yeah, fantastic play, and it was, and I was the father in it. It was a great part, and I literally I turned to one of the guys I was living with at the time. I was like, can't do it. I, I that was the dumbest thing I ever did. Don't know why I walked into those audition rooms. Can't do it. And I called the professor. Actually, it is so bad I didn't even call. I had my roommate call the professor. Who was it? Do you remember who was? It was, was the a guy named it? who the who the the, the guy who my roommate or the the professor. The professor. Professor was Neil Hersig. Do you remember Neil? Uh huh. And so Neil directed it and he called Neil and I, he pretended he was me, I think. And he was like, yeah, I've made a horrible mistake and it's not going to work out with my schedule and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I got like a, a message on my machine that was like, see you at rehearsal tomorrow. Like just completely like you're in, I'm I'm seizing. You. And he became my academic advisor and was like, from that moment on, I was kind of like just sucked
0: in more and more. And, and Do you think part of you like, well, I mean, why do you think you didn't, try those couple of years. I'm fascinated by this. Like you had this in you. I've almost never seen anyone who enjoys doing it more than you. Right. Now uh, even still, yeah. what was scary? I mean, must have been that something about it scared you. It was I didn't have a
1: context for anybody who had done it. Well, you know, like who had made a life out of it without it falling apart or, you know, it just was where we grew up. My dad was a dentist and like there was just there was no context for for like that you could have a successful life or that you could be a professional at it and I was just like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall into the fold eventually. I'm gonna be a grown up yeah. basically. And I remember being in a design class when I, once I became a design major once I became a drama major and knowing that I had to study for a test in another class and looking at the clock and realizing look glancing up and seeing it was like two in the afternoon, glancing back up and it was like midnight. And like the entire I hadn't eaten, hadn't done anything and the day had left. And because you've just been looking at because i would just been doing the script and building this thing and obsessed in that way that you can get and and I and it was honestly it was in that very moment where I said why why am I going to do anything else in my life it's something that makes the clock out the hands on the clock just fly off the clock like why would you take your life and do something that's a grind that when you're in it is a grind and makes the go, oh god I looked at the clock it's still two it's still two or two thirty I was like I looked up and my life would be over and I would have gone that was fucking blast and that was the moment i was like i'm all in i'm going in really and that's your
0: junior when you were trying that junior year when you were trying to figure out one of these shows yeah and who'd you tell like what'd you do so you make the decision for yourself that's the moment where you're like fuck i'm an actor yeah
1: um this is who i am well and i was like i got it late now i was like my dad who had this funny thing he would say like you have to go up a a bifid track, that was his big line. Cause he was still like trying to hedge his bets. Like if you're gonna go to law do right, school, do, yeah. yeah, you gotta go up two ways. You're gonna do great in your drama class. You're gonna bring up your GPA so that when you apply to law school, you go to law school. And and that's
0: still a joke in our family. Cause it was just like,
1: yeah, it's a bifid track with one with one track. Yeah, and, only uh, one
0: track. So, I so did, you told your parents, you said, I think I wanna be an actor. Like at some, what happened? You, you we did, Were with this when you wanted to switch your major? Like what happened?
1: Yeah, I sort of switched my major. And one of the most helpful, I was doing summer stock
0: uh,
1: like somebody from my class who a guy named Adam Richmond, who subsequently became a, a film producer. And I, he asked me in my, the summer of my junior year, if I would start this summer stock company with him up in the Berkshires. Um, so we went up there and it was like all Tufts kids going up in the summer. And I remember we were doing one night and we had hired this guy who was a lawyer to be in the Fantastics, which was one of the shows that we had did. And my parents came to see it. And, uh, this lawyer, who you know, who's thirty-five or whatever, sat my parents down. My parents still thought I was going to go to law school. And He was like, "I've watched your kid. I just want to tell you, don't make him be a lawyer. Um, don't push him down that road. This is this." And it was just this weird, like, oh, "How? Who was this guy? How did you know name. him? I, he was just one. He was a, one of the members of the cast. He played El Gallo or whatever in this thing, and he had auditioned at like the New England. That's space. amazing. Yeah, and he was like." Your son shouldn't be what I am. Yeah, don't to do it. this thing. Yeah, look at me. I'm a I'm a lawyer, and I'm and I'm not, I'm making four cents living with a bunch of kids, doing this because this is what I want to do. And your kid has ability and wants to do it. Like, did they pay go. attention to that? They did. I mean, it was. I sort of was like, I gotta. I thought kind of practical about it. I was like, I gotta lay. I gotta throw down a big old anchor because. When I got out of grad, when I got an undergrad, I was like, I gotta, I gotta commit it to a way that's like a big anchor that I can't pull up because it's gonna be hard for many, many years. It's gonna be a lot. Of you fun. realize this? I wanted yeah. to
0: ask you about that. You yeah. realize
1: this completely? And I was like, if I don't, if I don't go to a grad school and be like, it, there, now that's all a waste. I, you know,
0: I can't not
1: do that. That was your school. version of the big anchor. So yeah. you
0: went, you took a year and then went. No, you I went just to... went right straight in. Where'd you go? I went to Juilliard. Juilliard right away. So you yeah. auditioned for Juilliard your senior year of college. Yeah that's when you knew and then you got into Juilliard then it's hard to argue with your parents to make the argument because they right. are able to anyway parents are able to say well my son's at Juilliard so right. for that year it's a good yeah, year for
1: that year it was a great year
0: a lot of men struggle with shaving from ingrown hairs to razor burn to just overall skin irritation it's a painful chore that most men don't enjoy now there's a razor that takes the pain out of shaving and makes it an enjoyable experience you'll actually look forward to it is called the One Blade so yeah this is an excellent sh- excellent razor Uh, Right now I've got a beard on part of my face But I use it for under and over And um, smooth You're holding it in your hand And it's sturdy And you can tell this is a piece of Well made craftsmanship And it functions gorgeously It's like an heirloom quality razor You feel like you could pass it down for generations I mean each one is hand assembled Serial numbered And every one blade is backed by a 60 day Money back guarantee And a lifetime warranty so if you're ready for the best shave of your life, visit OneBladeShave.com slash moment. OneBladeShave.com slash moment. Try it, give it some time. If it isn't the best shave of your life, simply return it. Visit OneBladeShave.com slash moment. So I've been really wondering about this. Um, my, I'm, friends, I'm good friends with Paul Schiff, the producer, his brother's Richard Schiff, who I, I like that. a great deal too. I mean, me but too. Paul tells me there was this moment, I'm sure Richard, who I like, I love Richard um, the times we spent together, I love him. Paul tells the story though, because Paul was a decent actor and older than Richard. And one day Richard came, I think, older. But what he says Richard came to him and said, are you gonna pursue acting? And Paul said no. And then Richard said, okay, good. And then Richard felt like he could go do it. Really? Yeah, I'm sure Richard's version might be different. I'll not <laughs> on here and we'll talk about it. That's Paul's version. Yeah. But here's the thing, like, your brother was really good. Yeah. He got all the leads. Oh yeah, He was, awesome. he was f- famously an actor yeah. at school. So, in fact, when I had originally heard Konkin was getting Broadway stuff, I really thought it was your brother. So th- yeah. you know. Um, so what was that like when he told you he wasn't pursuing that right or when you saw that he wasn't and how did you guys talk about it well the first thing i mean
1: it was like this weird thing where we we're, gi- were very close we were very close still he's he the best and you know we had he was being bar mitzvahed and uh on long island and some they were doing this big temple like fundraiser of the show Mame. And they heard him doing his, like the people who were, were producing it were the temple and they heard him do his like singing at his bar mitzvah and they're like, that's our young Patrick Dennis, 13 year old Patrick right. Dennis. And like suddenly they're like, would he come in and do audition? And they had this like New York professional director directing and he went and he worked up his audition and he was 13, his voice was like, so he would sing and his voice had started to change and I think they were a little panicked about that but I saw all this energy being thrown at him and I was like, I'm taking this part from him. I told, so I was like, I'm i am gonna do this too. And my parents were like, oh, that's sweet. Steve. We're, Steve's gonna wanna, Steve wants to learn this song too. And like, he's gonna learn the audition too. He's gonna, and the, the first day of auditions, I went and I totally chickened out. And I didn't, like Jeff auditioned and I didn't. And then I was so devastated that I had let myself down that I was like, I'm really gonna do it. I'm really gonna go in. And I ended up, I think partly because I, my voice wasn't changing, I ended up stealing the part right from my brother.
0: Hilarious. At 11
1: years old. And like that was like, that was a big moment because it was a moment like I still look up to my brother, but it was like a moment where I was just like, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. Um, and he's you know, he's been amazing ab- about it. He does. He's incredibly creative and super funny guy. And I wouldn't. I don't think
0: I would have done it had I but not. watched But he's successful that. in in yeah, business in like new media, and he's he's brilliant. And he. Uh, but did you guys talk about it? Like, did you wonder why he didn't pursue it? That
1: you know. He, you know, because it's like one ship is the icebreaker, and the other ship then has freedom to move. And and I always felt like he was the guy who was like, that's perfectly said. You know, he he broke that ice, and I had way more latitude to move around after it. You know.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense to me. So you you get out of college, and you you say you knew it was going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were willing, and you came from like uh, we were talking about. You came from comfortable surroundings, mm-hmm. but not the kind of wealth that your parents could just support you indefinitely. Right. So, yeah, right, right. The, so the, I'm saying for you, there was going to be this drop off, oh, completely, of, completely. Yeah, you know, yeah. of living, of standard of living. Yeah. And so, how did you think about that? Was that be- because it's a cushy life out there in Brookville? Oh, totally. And you also know what you've walked away from. Yeah, sure. You could have been a professional. Yeah, you could yeah. been a professional person because you were set up to be, you went to a good college, you could have gotten into a good grad, like all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, and I made the, the awful mistake that a lot of actors do, which is, you know, like you're like, oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they, they're offering me a credit card. I'm gonna get that credit card. And then you just or suddenly you turn around and you're like, I got a lot of stuff and a whole lot of debt and zero way to pay any of this shit off. And like-
0: You mean you did that the first, when
1: you were at Juilliard or oh, after uh, Yeah, while
0: well, I was at Juilliard and
1: while, when, right when I got out. And then it just was like this crazy rude awakening of like, you're, you're totally- you've set up this thing and you're screwed now. Um, so you felt
0: that feeling? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of like, what am I gonna do? Yeah, completely. Where are you living? Like, set the thing for me. So, so my, where, where, what do you do? You, Juilliard's good for you? Juilliard is okay for
1: me. Juilliard right. is a tough place. It, what it taught, I mean, I was there during a period when it was,
0: what the big gift of it was resiliency. Like, teaching you. I've heard Gillian Jacobs talk about this. She, yeah. I guess she's younger than you by a little, Yeah. but she's talked about how miserable
1: yeah i mean it it was a just it was a it was a place that was like i mean they still they still break
0: they broke you down they wanted to break you down they broke
1: you down and if you didn't come in with a set of tools that you were like at at core i know what i do well then they you basically were like i'm going to adopt all this as the machine and then a lot of people just were machines um and that being said the the training is insanely fantastic but you have to you have to incorporate it and you have to. It's sort of like the best years of Juilliard actors during the period I was there was like two or three years after you got out when all that stuff sort of settled and you were like, you know, you didn't think that the way to talk was to do dropping your tees and doing this. It was like, you, that's not it. Um, so, but I got out and like I just was, I started hitting the pavement. Tonight. What did
0: you try to do? Would you do those uh, uh, Juilliard sort of like. Showcases for agents? You do the league thing where you're like,
1: in that, and during that period at Juilliard, it was, they used to, they'd had the whole class list, everybody's name, and then at the top, an agent or a producer would write like, here's my name. So it'd be like, I'm Ron Howard and I came to see it. And then he would check who he wanted to see. so like afterwards the, you mean? The night of. You do, do your two scenes and he'd check the three names he wanted to see. And back in the days that I was, they, for whatever reason, they decided, po- they posted them all For everybody to see.
0: You all had to see that, like, uh, tonight nobody wanted me? Yeah.
1: And there were people that literally, like, you'd go up there and you'd just see people fall apart. And it was this moment where it was like, oh, for three and a half, three and three quarters years, you're building a company and it's like this, you know, everybody's got something special to offer. And then the business just like blew the doors open and like it was like, nope, you're a fucking leading man and you are a character person who's got to wait five years or whatever it was. And And what did you feel like?
0: I felt like you know, like I you you got parts kinda quickly, right? I did,
1: yeah. I mean, I worked. I was really very fortunate. I I got a good agency right at the top, and I like um, theater agency. Thirty, yeah, theater agency. And um, and was that your aim? Did you think I'm gonna be a theater actor first? No, but you know, like I was. It's I was sort of the leading man at Tufts. I mean, at uh, at Juilliard, I was playing like Antony and Antony and Cleopatra. And it wasn't until the business sort of was like, you know. Yeah, you're not re- you're something else. You're something which ultimately I have found to be way more interesting and exciting for myself. But
0: you know, like, oh, so, so you you were coming out of there to be a movie star. I didn't realize this. I that was, I was com- I, no, no, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: no, like what I was coming out thinking, and now in retrospect, like I did two scenes. You do two scenes at the League Night, and I remember one was like a Michael Weller play. I forget what it was, and the scene I was like, that scene is going to kill because it's like. It's motive, and it's like got all these colors, and it's intellectual. And then the other scene was from this play: "I love you, you're perfect now." Change. Yeah, sure. Where I was like, and that's tripe, and and, and that killed, I guess, and that killed. And like some of the people were like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't if I hadn't seen that scene, you never would have called you in because I did not Like, what am I gonna do with the dude who's twenty-five thinking he's playing
0: the forty-year-old? Like, what is that? But that was your aim then. You were you. That's what the path you want it's fascinating. The way that like yeah. life moves everybody yeah. around, then you try to figure out. So, do they tell you that? Does an agent say, "Here are the things I want to send you out for," or are you going out for leading roles in the beginning? An agency
1: tells you if you have a good agent. And an agent says, "Like, yeah, that you're, you know, you're going to work more in ten years, so we have to cover the gap between this and that, and figure out what you want to do." And that's a pretty hard conversation when you're getting out of school with a you know a credit card <laughs> maxed out, and somebody's like, "You're going to work more in ten years," and you're like, "Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. But you still no doubt in your mind that this is what you were going to do. I knew this is what I was going to do. I knew that now I also had this anchor you know, way deep into the sand. And um, how, how did you, when you started going out, so you got, what was the first big thing you got? Well, I mean, I started working. Re- I mean, I was lucky because I was starting working regionally. Pre- I was in Shakespeare in the Park before I graduated. So I was like in working with professionals right away. And then I did, um, I think I did a play up in Portland. I did like importance of being earnest in Portland stage. And then and then my first show in New York really was uh, Tony Kushner's A Dybbuk. Right. A production of that which I did down at The Public and that was the first time that's I think where I got my equity card. Hey.
0: And what was it feeling like to, the first year when you were living as an actor? Was it what you'd hoped? Was it a drag? Was there... It was a drag
1: because you looked honestly like even though I was doing well it was like you looked out the window to the left and the right and
0: you were, were judging it you know you were judging it horizontally. Well, this is important. Yeah. You're saying you would look at Either other people who were in your class, or at the business in general, and you were like, "Why do I have six lines in the second act?" Completely. You mean I quantified it
1: again? This is that thing of like we're. No, like, it's important to yeah, know because yeah.
0: it, you you got through this, so yeah. th- it's good to know what this period was. This is this was like the self doubt, beating yourself up, and hating everybody else. Period. Oh, y- yes, and then when you make your piece with that, you like I think it's like it's that's
1: a big move. Internally, and I think you still fight that it's like being an alcoholic. You never you never really kind of get Fully, you know, you don't have that completely out of you You well, don't have, have to, to work have at so it.
0: much confidence to do what they do that then it churns, right? Yeah, I means yeah. to, to show up and audition because you still audition.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I talked with Costi about this one day backstage we were Kostil and I were talking I was like do you ever look like do you ever look at when the thing comes in that you look at the script and do everybody else's work but your own, where you're like, you read it and you go, yeah, I can think of six people who I would cast before me. Um You never know, go, and I, and you know, to Square credit, is like, no, why would I ever do their work? That's their work. Like, I go in and I go in with the attitude of like, are you that fucking stupid that you wouldn't cast me? And Which I think is brilliant. Right. It's a brilliant way to think of it. I don't know that I always do that or I'm always successful at it, but I think ultimately when you realize that if you, it's a numbers thing, like, be you to the best of your ability, and then when they're looking for you, you are doing it. As opposed to, I'm going to give you what you think you what I think. No, you that are.
0: is all you can do. But so what? In those first that first year or two, you're making some money. You're yeah. working yep. as an actor, but you're not the guy who gets to make take the last bow. No, definitely not. Um, Which is what, at that time what was important to you in a way
1: yeah i mean i wanted to work on new stuff and i wanted to like do it in new york i wanted to do it in new york and i wanted to and i was do, you know i got to play henry v in chicago and like have these great experiences playing get it, building this resume of of playing fantastic roles that i'd always dreamed of but you know feeling like yeah but i'm doing it wherever uh, it, you know in louisville or or
0: right so you actually it wasn't only doing the work like And I relate to this because I don't just want to write the thing or shoot the thing. I want people to, I want engage, and I want it to work. Yeah. But for you, for whatever reason, the standard you set for yourself, unless you were working in New York, it didn't feel the same. Then it, uh, then that's what I'm saying. At that time in your life, yeah. Even though uh, thousands of actors would kill for Henry to play Henry on the Chicago stage to a like a real audience every night, which you had amazing, yeah, and get cheered and all that stuff. But for you, your own sort of standards of living, your personal standards were like, I need to, I haven't succeeded. Basically, you weren't ready to call yourself a success.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that even still. I, you know, it's like a weird thing that I keep putting that carrot and that thing a little bit further, a little bit further. Like, and and for real? Yeah, for real. Like, I mean, I think that there's, I've made my peace with it over and over. But I think a huge thing is like, when do you find gratitude? Like, where do you find gratitude, and how do you go? this is amazing and this is enough. Um, And again, I think that's like, and it may have been bred into me in my years at Juilliard, which was, which were rough, which were like, they put the cast list up and you'd be like, that dude just had the lead in the last thing. Has they got the, really? Where's the, where's the, really? That guy never showed up to any rehearsals and didn't know his lines. And you're doing it, okay, okay. So you found yourself falling into that kind of competitive thing. Yeah, and... It makes you game ready. That that does make you game sharp, but it also makes your enjoyment of the thing and it, slightly less pure. How about dealing with rejection then? Yeah. When you got out, um, it was hard. I mean, my fr- I got really really close on one. Of, I probably my first audition to a major major lead in a play at Lincoln Center um, opposite Kevin Klein, and I was like five auditions in and read with Kevin, and I was like, yeah, this is the way. All right, this is right, and and. I think if I had gotten that, it would have been a disaster in some ways. Like if that had if that had happened when it was supposed to, ha- it would then there would have been zero appreciation of what the
0: actual thing is, and you know. Yeah, but at the time you didn't have that perspective. Z- no so what did it feel like to get rid? Because I'm I'm really interested in how people keep going. Right. So what's it feel like when that you fa- You know, it's not a failure, but it is a
1: failure. It's de- you know it feels the- like a failure. It's devastating, and it's sort of like you know people talk like, you know, think about like when a pet dies, and you're like, and people are like, "Are you going to get another pet?" And you're like, some people say no, and some people are like, "Yeah," but it doesn't mean that the next pet that when that pet dies, it's any less painful. And I still feel that way. You know, you have to fall in love. You have to, you have to to get somewhere in this career. You have to leave it on the table. You have to let it. You have to care, and. um that's exposure and when you're exposed you have the you have the
0: ability to be hurt yeah and what would you do back then to get yourself up again do you remember like how you would because were you living with anybody or were you by yourself no i was by myself i you know and it was just what would how would it how would you process it because yeah how would you not just be like well fuck it you know it was always the good thing was it was like was
1: we you'd wait for that phone call You know, you wait for the next chance. You'd get yourself, like there was a cycle and you'd see that phone light up with the number. And there's still, it's like that weird thing where you, I still know the number of my first agent. And I remember seeing it on the cell phone, be like, there's a chance, there's a chance. Oh, for the next audition.
0: And you would just get up for the next thing. And then you would dive in and really prepare. Dive in and really prepare. But it, yeah. Do you you still prepare that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, when it's like, it's interesting. It's like, and this is the part that's hard. It's like, sometimes you, you know, sometimes as you, I do, but there's sometimes where you look at it and go like,
0: "Yeah, that one's not. That not. That's not one to love. That's one to, to date." You, know, I wanted to ask you this though: how, how in general do you think about auditioning now? How, like, wh- because it is the thing where you're facing a kind of a judgment. Yeah. So how do you turn that off, or how do you? You're good at it, how, but how do you sort of think about it? It's no different than someone trying to go to job interviews or something. So right. I always, like what What do you tell yourself about what, what it is and what your responsibility to it is and all that stuff? One of the most helpful
1: ways is that I've sat on the other side of that table now a couple of times and it's like, and I'm sure you know this, when somebody comes in and solves your problem, there's nothing better than, than seeing that actor come into the room and, and, and solve it. Nothing better. <laughs> right, so like, he, he, I think that we as actors are so worried a lot of the time about like, am I going to live up to it? And we don't own the fact that what we possess necessarily is someone else's answer. And so I try to flip that in my head so that I come in being like, I'm going to provide you with a possible answer. And I'll see it in your face pretty quickly whether or not, you know, it is. And if it isn't, then it becomes a kind of, let me try to move somewhere where it might be. But, you know, if you go in trying to be that, being someone else's answer because of what you were, what your thoughts are on it. It gives you something active to do as opposed to sky camming out and just, and just judging yourself. Cause judge, there's that moment, especially that they teach you in drum score. take the moment to prepare, you know, take the moment to prepare and then you open your eyes and then you, and then you deliver your first line. And so often that moment of prep for me is about, take that moment to prepare, self doubt, <laughs> <laughs> out. there it is it's creeping in now open it up without conviction and go right and, and disaster <laughs> and man it's
0: disaster and so i you know i think it's like well part of what you're talking about is if you do your best thing then you either are the answer or you're not yeah. so it totally takes it away from your. it's like your responsibility is just to show up and present you in the best light you can totally totally be, because it almost has nothing to do with what the person like yeah. There if you're the wrong person for the part there is nothing you can do it has nothing to do with whether you were good that day. Yeah. It only has to do with whether that thing as you is jibes with this idea that's in the ca- person who's casting's
1: mind. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, I think that's one of the things as you get older and you have more and more stuff in your rearview mirror. It's like I don't think David Strathairn walks into a room and people go, "No, he's not a very good actor." I mean, he may be right or wrong for a role, but there's always like I don't is that still a thing you're trying to prove to
0: yourself or someone else that you're a good
1: actor i think yeah right i mean i think everybody like is at some point like you know doubting whether or not they have they have the real goods and whether or not it's like
0: artifice or are real or is it memorex you know do you talk to other actors about what happens to them when they're acting or do you guys never talk about it with each other is it like the third rail
1: I think sometimes it's the third rail, and then a couple drinks in, it's like, "What were you doing?" What, "Oh, wow, oh, oh, you too?" "Yeah, I really?" Just totally, "Yeah, yeah, totally." Um, you know, and it's typically those actors who are willing to admit that that exists that are the best actors, I think,
0: because they're the ones who are, have the most
1: they have the most exposure in the game.
0: You mean the ones that are willing to to, to admit. When it's go time, they hope that this it's there. Yeah, and they're not just bullshitting around. Totally. And I like we're doing still. I was doing still Alice with
1: Julianne Moore, and like, it's like it's an incredible performance. And I remember between takes, like her being like, "Was that any good?" And like, good. And she and wasn't fucking around. Yeah. No. Like, she meant it. Yeah. Completely. So and, and like you're like, well, you know, oh damn. Well, I mean, I did this movie with Spielberg, where Spielberg like. Called everybody, took everybody out of the room before we filmed this scene. And it was Tom Hanks and this great actor named Dakin Matthews. Which movie? Bridge of Spies. Right. And he was like, John Osh, everybody out of the room. And John was was like, I'm going to stay too. And he's like, no, nope. like everybody out of the room. And everybody left. And it was, you know, the, the four of us in this room. And he goes, I have no idea how to direct this scene. And he said, I don't have any, I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of anybody else. I figured if we all of us rehearsed it like a play, you guys might show me what it is and we'll figure something out together. But I just, I didn't want to do that in front of everybody. And like the, that, the realization of that dude saying that, of that, you know, Uber, you know, the guy who informed- The most successful yeah, film director film of all, of all time, time. Doing that, you're like, you're like, okay, good for him. Good for me. Like, that's what it is. We all have doubt all the time. Work past it. Oh, that's amazing. And then how did it come together? Well, you just saw all three of us, like, Tom Hanks and Dakin and myself be like, oh, okay, let's rehearse this. And, like, suddenly everybody went from being, like, the, you know, back-footed to being, like, on the front on the balls of their feet. Was that either of your first scene with Hanks or had you already been making it for a while? We had done It was a little bit further in. But it was, like, it was in the chambers and it was, like, it had compressed down from big courtroom scenes to that. And, you know.
0: Because it's a gift that he gave you guys, too.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he knew exactly how he was filming that scene, but it suddenly made us all feel like everyone had, had a stake in it, yeah, it and totally. want to be
0: like alive and totally t- took your self consciousness completely right away. Yeah, I mean that's a a, a brilliant that's a brilliant thing. Um, one of the reasons I am glad that I don't have a regular sort of suit and tie job or even a regular job in the workforce is that hiring or having to get hired these things seem very difficult to me. Finding just the right person for just the right job. It, it does seem, uh, almost I- impossible, uh, and unpleasant also. And, and look, here's the thing, I, I, right? Because there's, you know, hard to find qualified candidates. It takes a long time. There are too many applicants, but ZipRecruiter makes it easy. ZipRecruiter.com slash moment, uh, is how you can, uh, find out, uh, how ZipRecruiter works and you can sign up. And, uh, Look, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can get ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address: ZipRecruiter.com/moment. That's ZipRecruiter.com/moment. ZipRecruiter.com/moment. Go there. Go to that site. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. How do you? I, 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 how do you fill the downtime now? I mean, you're a very involved, father, which I want to talk about in a second. But as an actor, there are these long periods of downtime, and you're one of the great—I would say, you know—you're one of the absolute great guys to have on set. You're one of my favorite oh. people to talk to, and Dave feels the you know, same. Uh, you just make it completely fun. I and mean, that's the amazing thing about our show. Actually, yeah. is like yeah. everybody is totally cool. Yeah. Um, but how do you fill the? Like, what do you do to fill the downtime? How do you keep yourself alive as an artist? I, I a couple ways. One is that
1: you know you try you try to do something, and with you know creative with the off time. I'm a photographer. I like to take pictures. I'm really interested, and in, I know some that found its way into a symbiosis with the show, with the coffee thing. But like I'm really interested in this world where there's so much to know about about artisanship and, and people who know a lot about something min, in the minutia. Uh, you know, like know the minutia of some small narrow topic. And I find that that's one of the ways I like to go really deep in a really narrow bandwidth. And in the downtime, sometimes I find myself going down these black holes of like latte art. Like I'm gonna learn everything I can about that so when I might come back up, I I actually know something. Because I sometimes think like, okay, if I got plucked out and thrown back in time, would I know anything? Like, would I know how to like turn on a light or create electricity I or? Heard that. So you want to learn about that stuff in case yeah. it happens. Yeah, in case it happens or
0: in case, like, I want like, what do I know? What do I, I don't know what I know. It's so you like learn? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, the coffee thing, that was just a great bit of kismet, as you know, wrote that scene. I know. Dave and funny. I wrote that Cortado scene before we knew you were a, co- and then I saw on Facebook, you write about Cortado's right afterwards, and it was crazy. And then yes, it became a big part of Spiros' uh, Spiros's life. So. You are having this great moment professionally at 45 or however old you are, and... 48. 48? Yeah, is that right? I think. I believe you. Yeah. So you're four years younger than me. So, but you were younger than Jenny, I thought. 47. I mean, I'm 47. you are you're, you're, you're younger than Jennifer, I'm really not hiding, sure. I don't remember. You are you're a year Jennifer, younger, than, yeah. younger than Jennifer, grade younger than Jennifer, five years younger than me. That makes total sense. Yep. Okay, so, when... Uh, but you're having this great moment in your career You've had, listen, you were in Broadway plays that got huge notice. You were nominated for Tony. Sure. You were nominated for all these incredible awards. You've had great moments before. But being on our show and on Handmaid's at the same time, in big part, in parts yeah. that are sort of showy important and, right. and yep. showy to the show, I'm, I'm not sure if you've had a moment like this before exactly. No, I mean,
1: but it's also like TV, the, the proliferate, like being in somebody's living room. Week after yeah, week. Right. Totally I mean, no, I mean, listen, you're
0: great in the last Born movie. You have a huge part. No, but You've you're been absolutely- in a lot of movies like that. But, uh, but, the sort of people, I'm just wondering, how is this moment hitting you? Is it satisfying? Oh, it's awesome.
1: I mean, it's weird, too, because it's like, you know, there are people who are like, oh, God, here this. Somebody wants to take a picture of me or someone wants to say hi to me. And I don't, I I, 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 look, I think if you were dealing with that every day, all day long, and you're somebody who cannot get away from that, it must be hard. Um, I'm not so it's so like it's a blast oh it's like it's like oh my god like something I've done has has hit into the memoir. I was you know I, I think I told you this but we was in Jamaica like on spring break and I took my kid away and like I came I was I was in Canada filming Handmaid's Tale and I flew from Toronto to meet Jen and my daughter Naomi and I came in through customs and walked down the steps and it was right after it was right after episode one of season three this year and as I turn the corner to come down into this, like, bullpen of security, some guy in line was like, Spiros! And, it, like, at once, <laughs> everybody turns over. And, like, because you're going through those, like, Disney World lines, sure. of, lines of, like, you know, waiting online line where you go back and forth and back and forth, I would – I just had to talk to everybody over and over and over and over again. And that was, like, the moment. I was like,
0: holy, holy
1: shit. This is actually – like, this is, this is going to
0: be – Well, it's so great that you were also on the two previous seasons, but then yeah. – we were all able to figure out where to take this and you went so seamlessly with it and joined yeah. this other company in a way. I
1: was the, reading that season three scene, I was like, that's fantastic.
0: I think yeah. I we gave you a little warning, right? How, um, before we, you didn't. I think over the summer, I think. I think we yeah, said yeah, yeah, gave yeah. you a tiny bit of warning. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I can't end this without talking about um, your, your daughter. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, your daughter who is fr- from where? Ethiopia. For, Ethiopia. Uh, the only country in Africa that was never under uh, any kind of yeah. imperial rule. Right, wow, that's well played. So and well played. Uh, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure she was from there, but I, I do uh, happen to know that. And um, how? How? And I, you're so close with her. How central is this, and how much did this change your life? Because it's clear that for a long time you were just living for Steve. Right. Yeah. And so what? What did that all feel like, and how did that?
1: Well, the, one of the amazing things is I was do I was between shows. I was doing Our Town, the David Cromer, who was also on the show, production of Our Town, doing the stage manager. And I knew that at any... And I was about to do the play Enron, which was the one that I was nominated for. And I was had this window of time because we knew that my daughter, our number was going to come up and we were going to be matched and we were going to have to travel to Ethiopia to, to get Naomi. And every single night I was doing these speeches from, that the stage manager does in Our Town that just were about look up to the heavens, what does life mean? What does birth mean? What does death mean? And and like literally just grappling with what the experience of being alive is, knowing that any day we're gonna get this call like, you're traveling, you're traveling and you go and, and now you're gonna go meet your kid. And how old was she? She was six months old. And it happened and I literally, I, there was one day where I was like, I gotta go, next next Tuesday is my last show, we're gonna fly on Thursday and you know, it, it there there was really no greater gift to go from that like question life to going to seize life and 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 meet your the person who's going to ultimately be the most important person outside of your spouse for the rest of your life and then come back and walk right back into work because i knew i had work it was like this it didn't it there wasn't like this period of like Ooh, let me question it was like it felt like a little bit like Carousel where it's like I gotta be a father too, We're good, you know like yeah. oh yeah and uh, it has kind of changed everything there's no question it changes everything it changes your perspective on everything and the moments that you talk about with failure where you're before about like how do you get yourself back up for it you know after you get rejected from something it's like your kid doesn't give a crap so you wake up in the morning and you're like i feel really crummy about the fact that i didn't get a call back for that or i didn't even they didn't offer me that And it's like well i want to go to park yep and you realize yeah, it's that's what it is that's ultimately what it is and and that makes you a better
0: artist ultimately i think well because it makes you a better person yeah yeah all right well that's a good place to end did we cover everything anything you wish we covered no that was awesome Stephen Konkin dude I love you I'm so happy that you're in the show and that you're doing so well in life and um, well I'll see you soon hey everybody Kunks is active on and has a blue check now on Twitter I know you like that That's what's really your name weird. on Twitter uh, it's
1: Big well Big Skunks on Instagram and Stephen Conkin at uh, Twitter
0: I'm at Brian Koppelman on Twitter you can email me at the moment, bk at gmail.com don't send me scripts don't send me ideas for movies none of that stuff that'll go right in the trash but I'm happy to hear any thoughts you have about the show or answer any questions you may have about life. Uh, Thanks, everybody. See you next time. So this podcast was brought to you by Buffalo Trace Bourbon. Man, that is a delicious glass of bourbon.